like to look at snow, but I'm okay if it doesn't snow. How about you guys? Pass on that. Don't need any wintry mix around here. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 3 will be there tonight, and uh, so just a short recap. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago with Hannah, amazing woman of faith, and you remember her journey, right? Uh, really summarized for many years by a struggle with infertility and struggle. I don't know what the right word is for that. It's probably not an adequate word to say it was a struggle. And, uh, I mean, the loneliness, the despair, all she wanted was a child. And, and I think there might be, well, I, we kind of understand, you know, people today, some of us even uh, likely struggle with infertility, but it was different for her. Uh, today, when we have friends or family or we ourselves struggle with infertility, there's almost always a spouse there that's walking the journey with us. For her, uh, it was insult to injury. I mean, her, her spouse had another wife. And that other wife had given him children. So it was a very isolated, lonely journey. But the thing about her is she didn't give up. We find her praying. We find her fasting. We find her believing and hoping. And even before she becomes pregnant, um, she she prays that prayer in the tabernacle. And Eli kind of affirms that prayer for her. And she's so convinced that God is going to answer that prayer after years of nothing that she walks out of there with her head held high. And uh, the Word of God tells us that she began to eat and, and, and feel uh, happy again. And uh, she was right. God answered that prayer. And Samuel, uh, he asked is the name of that child. Samuel, he asked. Um, and uh, so he comes into the world, and she loves him and dedicates him to the Lord, takes him to the tabernacle uh, to spend his life working there in the things of God. And uh, she, every year, <clears throat> to kind of foster this continuing connection with her boy, even though he doesn't live at home with her, uh, she knits him you know, a, a beautiful little, little garment and takes it to him and, and, and connects with him. Uh, but she is impressive, and that's chapter 1. And then chapter 2, kind of the, the, the situation gets a lot less noble and, and faithful. It becomes more faithless, I think you would say, as we're introduced uh, to Eli. We get to know him a little bit better in chapter 2, and we get to know her, his sons Hophni and Phinehas. And uh, they are, I think you could just say, unspiritual unspiritual, and he is the high priest of Israel, but uh, he is kind of benignly negligent, uh, allowing his boys to pillage the sacrifices before they have been offered to God, taking the portions they want from the meats there, and even threatening people uh, who come to worship with physical violence if they do not uh, allow them to take the meats. Uh, We find them having uh, relations, sexual relations with girls who are helping out at the temple entrance, and Eli knows about all of this, and aside from talking to his boys, he does nothing to stop them, and in fact grows literally grows fat off of all of the food stealing they're doing in the tabernacle. We'll encounter more about that in in a couple of chapters. Um, But for myself, at at first glance, I'm always, you know, you you read these stories and and you want to um, see yourself in the story of a Hannah, not so much in the story of an Eli and his sons, 
but if the truth is told, at least for myself, um, my personal pendulum kind of swings back and forth, and sometimes I find myself more hopeful and faithful and more dedicated to the things of God, and other times wavering, perhaps, and less spiritual. And so I think we see a little bit of ourselves, perhaps, in all of these stories as we work through 1 Samuel, which honestly just makes me grateful, overwhelmingly grateful for Jesus Christ, for the Son of God, for our great high priest, and for his sacrifice on the cross, because his holiness has been accounted to us. His righteousness has been given to us as if it is our righteousness by faith. We wear that as our own, and that's the good news, that's the gospel, and that's why we gather and we celebrate. Um, So tonight, our story continues in 1 Samuel, tonight in in chapter 3, and we get to know Samuel a little bit tonight. Verse 1, meanwhile, the boy, Samuel, served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. And let's just kind of hit the pause button there because there is too much packed into that first verse to just roll on past that. So we've got a glimpse of what Samuel's day-to-day life is like. He is assisting the high priest, uh, Eli, in the tabernacle, quietly going about this business of serving the Lord. Um, And Eli, we find, still the high priest. Um, And this uh, work that Samuel does will involve, you know, waking up in the morning and, Eli, what do you need for me to do today? And then doing those simple chores, those tasks. Um, So we get a glimpse of, of just the rhythm of life for this boy as he grows up, Samuel. Samuel. And that word meanwhile there in verse 1, meanwhile, Samuel, so it tells us there's, there's habits here, there's, there's a routine, this is an ongoing work of Samuel. Uh, and then verse 1 informs us that God wasn't saying very much in those days. The word of the Lord was, was rare, and people were not having uh, many visions. God was quiet. I'll be honest with you, the first thing I thought this week when I read that, God was quiet. Well, of course he was quiet. I mean, look at, look at the high priest and, and look at his sons who are priests, how wicked these men were. That, of course God wasn't going to speak in a time when that kind of wickedness was ruling uh, the country. And then I thought, wait a second. In the Old Testament, God did a lot of talking when his people were caught up in idolatry and wickedness. I mean, pretty much all of the prophets and the minor prophets are God doing a whole lot of talking of the word of the Lord not being rare at all. He had a lot of things to say to his people when they were living in disobedience. Um, So, interesting. Whatever the spiritual state of the nation, high or low, sometimes God spoke. Sometimes God was quiet. And perhaps there's something for us in that as well. Something about the ebb, and, the ebb and flow of our spiritual journeys with the Lord. That there are moments, I hope, there are moments when a word from the Lord is not at all rare for you. When God seems to speak to you directly every time you open the Bible in your morning time with coffee and God, where every sermon seems to be directed right to you, when even through circumstances and air quotes coincidences in life, God is just talking, 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 and you're just trying to keep up with all that he is saying. I mean, hopefully you have moments like that in your lives and other times. Um, 
a word from the Lord is rare. And you may still be listening to sermons and opening your Bible, but, but a word from the Lord seems rare to you. In these days, for the collective nation of Israel, God wasn't doing a whole lot of talking. We're told that in verse 1. And perhaps, in their case, it might be fair to say they hadn't been paying much attention to what God had been saying. Um, it doesn't say God wasn't speaking. It says a word was rare. So maybe when God was speaking, no one was really paying all that much attention. So why would God keep saying new things when they weren't listening to the one or two things he was saying? Makes sense, right? I mean, uh, like if you've ever gotten a word from the Lord... Over and over, God seems to put something in your heart. God seems to be telling you something. And over and over, you say, not now, or no, or I'm not going to adapt my life to that. Uh, Then why expect something new from the Lord? Why expect a fresh revelation from God when you haven't been listening to what he's already been saying? Verse 2. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, he had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied. Yes, sir. What is it? He got up, ran to Eli. Here am I. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Pause on this one for a second. So God is talking to Samuel in an audible sort of way. Would it be fair to say something miraculous is happening here? Yeah, I I would think so. Sleeping in the tabernacle by by the ark of the... or near the ark and an audible voice... The voice of God himself speaks to Samuel. Pretty miraculous. But this is what fascinates me. Does Samuel see this as miraculous? Is his hair standing on end? Does he have goosebumps? Is he throwing himself on the ground trembling in the presence of Almighty God? It doesn't seem miraculous at all to Samuel. Literally, God has spoken to him, called him by name. Pretty remarkable stuff. But Samuel doesn't say, woe is me. Doesn't have much of a reaction other than, must be, must be Eli calling. Go check with Eli. So there's nothing miraculous feeling about this. But it is miraculous all the same. And I think here's what we need to see. When the Lord speaks to us, don't expect a fireworks show to accompany the message necessarily. (laughs) I mean, we're told in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God lives in us. Our spirit calls to Him, Abba, Father. We have this relationship with this God, with the God of the universe, because of the cross of Calvary. And if you're a believer, God will speak. I think it would be better to say he, he is speaking in your life. Again, not all of the time, not on command, but he is speaking. And the key for Samuel is to learn 
to recognize when God is speaking. To learn in all of the other voices, Eli's voice or other voices around the text, when is it God who is speaking to me? Jesus talked about this, didn't he, in John chapter 10. Talked about how his disciples get close to him as sheep do with the shepherd and learn to recognize that one particular voice. John chapter 10, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his sheep, he goes before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. It's a relationship here. There's a familiarity here. So the sheep hear a lot of voices. They don't follow a lot of voices, though, do they? They follow one voice. They follow the voice of their master. That other stuff is just noise. Verse 6, the Lord, so he's back in bed. The Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I did not call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. So again, Samuel thinks his boss is calling him. Thinks Eli needs something. The old guy is blind, you know, if he needs to go to the bathroom or if he needs a cup, it's, it's, he needs Samuel to help out. And so the high priest keeps telling him, buddy, I, I, it's not me. I'm, I'm not calling you. Go back to bed. So Samuel's a little bit confused, right? Verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. He did not yet know the Lord because he had not yet had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time. And once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. A lot of charming details in this story. I mean, here we go. A third time, Samuel hears this voice once again. He does not know who it is. It does not, quote, it does not sound miraculous. And this hints at something very important. It takes practice to recognize the voice of the master. It takes a relationship. It takes a proximity. It takes knowing one another. It's something we lean into. It's something we learn to be responsive to. In other words, it is not something automatic and natural for us. God speaks sometimes to people. And they don't know it's God speaking to them. They hear it. They hear the message. Yet they are unable to recognize this is from God to me. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So Eli recognizes now what is happening. Instructs Samuel to go back to bed. And if the call occurs again, to open up his heart and say, here I am. I'm all ears, Lord. I just find this interesting. Like I said, the charming details. Samuel is sent back to the most 
ordinary of places, sent back to his bed or his cushion there on the floor of the tabernacle. And Samuel is sent back to the, not just the most ordinary of places, but the most ordinary posture. Go and lie down. You know, Eli doesn't say go kneel beside the holy of holies. Throw yourself on the ground. Now, go back to bed. Lie down. And listen, because God can speak in very ordinary situations, in very ordinary places. When we walk with the Lord, there will be times for fasting like Hannah. There will be times to get on your knees in worship to the Lord. Uh, there will be times when we develop, because of our relationship with the Master, because of our friendship with God, where <clears throat> He can speak to us in the most mundane, ordinary of places and circumstances, right? Verse 9, Samuel goes back to bed. And verse 10, the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something shocking in Israel. I'm going to carry out all of my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon, chapter 2, I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he has not disciplined them. So I have vowed the sins of Eli and of his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. <clears throat> you think that shook the boy up a little bit? Yeah. I'd say so. I mean, he is a junior apprentice, an intern at the tabernacle, serving at the pleasure of the high priest, Eli, and the other priests that serve in the temple. And it's not like Samuel didn't notice the way that Eli and his boys conducted business there at the temple. I'm sure he saw everything. He knew things weren't right, but who was he? to say anything about it. Just a boy. I mean, maybe, maybe this is normal, the way Eli and his sons conduct, conduct business. Maybe this is the way every temp, uh, temple and tabernacle regime kind of operates. Who's he to call attention to it? But now he hears from God. From God. And the text lets us know he didn't, he didn't have a relationship with God up to this point. He didn't know God had heard stories about God, knew some of the holy literature. But now he hears directly from God. The one the nation comes and offers sacrifices to at the temple, the one that his mother prayed to when she was struggling with her <clears throat> infertility, the one Eli and the priests come here every day, in theory, to serve. God is speaking to him. And what he hears is... Is very upsetting. He hears from God, from the holy judge, Yahweh, that judgment has been passed against Eli and his sons, and that it's time for the sentence to be executed against this corrupt family. 
The crime, Hophni and Phinehas, have been blaspheming against God. They are priests, but they have been making a mockery of this holy moment of worship and this holy place, the tabernacle, stealing sacrifices, um, seducing ladies there at the entrance to the temple, uh, just living a life of insult to Yahweh. And Eli's basically been letting it go, or in the words of the text, not disciplining his sons. Samuel, obviously, I mean, I think this goes without saying, he couldn't sleep. He was troubled. No idea what to do with this information. Uh, To be sure, he was not at all eager to, what, to, to wake up and go share this with Eli. Verse 15. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, got up, opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual, regular day, go about my normal business here. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. Mm, But Eli called to him, Samuel, my son, here I am. Samuel replied, what did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything. And may God strike you and even kill you if you try to hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks best. Samuel told him everything. Now, to be accurate, none of this should have been a surprise to Eli. He has heard this message, in fact, a message in much greater detail from God through a prophet in chapter 2, so nothing Samuel is sharing with him should be news to Eli. Just a confirmation of the prophetic judgment he's already received from God. And he seems to resign himself to the faith. Verse 19. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. All Israel from Dan way up north to Beersheba in the south. All Israel knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. So Samuel has come... uh, to this point in chapter 3 where he recognizes the voice of the master and we see an amazing transformation happen here in this chapter from junior intern to prophet of God known throughout the nation of Israel and he is known as a prophet of God because the things he says are true. The pronouncements he makes come true. It's obvious that there's an anointing of God on this on this person, Samuel. And remember how messages from God, we were told in verse 1, had been so exceedingly rare. They're not rare anymore. Everyone in Israel is hearing the word of God on a regular basis. How, you ask? Isn't he just talking to Samuel? 
He's talking through Samuel to God's people. He's speaking to his, his flock, his nation, to the tribes. God speaks freely to his people now through his messenger, through Samuel. And there is a temptation, isn't there, for Christians. We want a word from the Lord, just like Samuel got a word from the Lord. We want to hear the audible voice talking to us. Hey, Gordon, calling us by name. We, we want that. We want him to deliver custom-made messages, just, just so, just right for our situation, for our lives. And I think he still does this as we get to know him, as we get to recognize the voice of our shepherd. But God was speaking to each person, to every man, woman, and child there in the nation, and he was doing it through his prophet Samuel. So in our eagerness to hear that word from the Lord for our lives, let's not be deaf to the word he is speaking into our lives, through the word, through the spoken word, the circumstances of life. A lot going on here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. A lot for us to pay attention to. Like we talked about earlier, it's interesting, isn't it, how God speaks to people and they don't know he's speaking to them. This is Samuel in their first couple of encounters. God may be speaking to you in your life right now or speaking to you tonight in this very moment. But you may or may not recognize that it's him speaking to you. How do I know? I think that's the million dollar question. How do I know? Is this from God or not? I want to know for sure when it's God talking to me. Yeah, it's not that simple. And to make it that simple, to devise some litmus test for whether or not a message is from God, um, I don't know that that would be doing justice to a text like this one, or to really the, wit, the rest of the witness of Scripture in general. Uh, it's something we would like, obviously, but I don't think we're given that. There are some things, obviously, clearly. Um, God is not going to tell you something that is contradicting something he has shared in his revealed word. In other words, God is not going to contradict himself. We know that. So if you're hearing something, a voice in your life, and you think it's God, and that voice is telling you to have an affair, <laughs> to leave your spouse, uh, to destroy a co-worker's reputation, uh, to treat somebody unjustly, that's, that's not from God. Okay, That voice speaking to you is not from God. And I know that should be obvious, so sorry about being Captain Obvious there. We know that already. He won't tell us something that is out of line with what he has revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. But still, I think it's a simple thing. And here's what I was tempted to do tonight, this simple thing. To, <clears throat> to just kind of list out some of the principles, you know for deciphering whether or not a message is from God. And there are, there are some principles. There may not be a litmus test, but there are some things that can be helpful there. Um, and I, I think that would be no, there would be nothing wrong with doing that tonight. But I don't think we need from this text another simplistic read your Bible and pray every day message tonight. Um, that kind of recipe for hearing God. Yeah, we, we know we need to pray. We know we need to read the Bible 
What I sensed tonight was coming out of this text was just the importance of relationship. And no rules or principles can generate that. We see Samuel beginning a relationship, first name basis, with God. And that's what I see coming out of this text tonight. For the record, two monologues do not make a dialogue. Okay? Two monologues do not make a... The fact that you pray your prayer and then you read your Bible, that does not necessarily mean you're having a dialogue with God, that you're in a relationship with God. And so we talk to the Lord in prayer that may be formal or informal, We share with the Lord and the Spirit who lives in us, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, um, prays alongside us. Isn't that amazing? Speaks to God with, with groans that words cannot express. Where words break down, the Spirit of God intervenes. It's a beautiful thing. He shares with us. He uses the Word, the Bible, He uses the community of believers around us. He uses at times life circumstances if we pay attention. He uses promptings of the Holy Spirit. Hey, at one time in the Old Testament, he used a donkey to talk to his prophet. And the donkey, if you read that story with Balaam, actually uses logic, uses reason to talk to this prophet of God. He can speak in whatever way he wants to speak to us. And what I don't want to do as a follower of God is, is put God in a box. You don't want to put God in a box. Start making statements about what God does or does not do. That's not relationship language. That's legal. That's institutional and by the way, if your God fits in a, God, in a box, is he really God? Right? If you can contain him, if you can understand him, when the Bible itself says his ways are not our ways. As I grow as a disciple, a relationship develops. He doesn't love me more. He can't love me more than what he did for me on the cross, but I grow to appreciate his love for me. And certainly, we come to love the Lord and know him and be more familiar with him and his ways and his voice and his plan for our lives. And as we do that, and we don't have to get it all figured out because it's a relationship, but as we do that, we enter into this life of dialogue where God may speak to you when you put your head on the pillow at night. Or God may speak to you in the tabernacle. But God can speak to you whenever and wherever. And you can talk to him. Samuel had this. And because of Jesus, we have something even more precious than this. We have the Spirit of the Lord residing in us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so this is probably a good place to kind of land the plane tonight. We'll do that. And we're going to pick up with some excitement 
some drama next week as we continue our journey through 1 Samuel. But tonight, let's leave it at this. The call to develop a relationship with God, and you maybe I've been a Christian for 30 years. Well, you can go deeper. You can draw nearer to God. And so for each of us, wherever we're at on our journey, it's that. It's growing in a relationship with the Lord where we speak and we're heard and where he speaks and he's heard. Let's worship him together as we stand and sing. As we stand and sing, if you need to take communion, you can exit uh, as we sing and it'll be served to you in the fellowship hall this evening. Nearer, still nearer, Our God in heaven, Father, nearer, still nearer, that's our prayer tonight. Whether you called us by name last week or 30 years ago, we want to grow in our relationship with you. We want to know your will and your plans inside and out. We want to heed your direction and your guidance in our daily walk. At home, at work, out and about. When you speak to us, We say, here I am. What is it, Lord? 
And so I ask for each one of us tonight that we will have a life of dialogue with you. Where we hear and respond to your word. And we have such intimacy with you that we can tell you whatever it is that's on our heart. That's on our mind. Father, we thank you tonight for people like Hannah. Like Samuel. People whose faith grew. Their knowledge of you and intimacy with you grew over their lifetimes. We're thankful for the boldness of someone like Samuel who not only received your word, but then allowed you to speak through him into the lives of others and say things sometimes that weren't easy to say. If that's what you need from us at times, we're available for that. We're open to that. You're the master. We're the servant. Protect us, Father. Guide us. Lead us this week. Cover us with the blessing of your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.